You're going to look at me? Talk down the microphone. Do I have to look at you? Wow. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Konga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? It's fine until I saw you. He's <laughs> actually, he means that, he means that. Like it pissed um, me off already. <laughs> yeah. Wow, spicy start. We no, have an obscenity. <laughs> it's funny, actually, probably shouldn't say this because we're growing the podcast. I put out a request for questions today and there weren't that many questions compared to most weeks. And I think it's because... Everyone is just saturated on football. It's too I, much football. This weekend, I think what's happened, there's so much incident this weekend on and off the field. I think it's like a Sunday afternoon when everyone's had like all that Christmas turkey and everyone's just passed out. Everyone's just like... <gasps> Can't even be bothered to change the channel when the Queen's speech comes on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but still, we plough ahead regardless. There's so much. Where do we even start? Uh, we have to start quickly just to remind people about the five to follow that we're doing with FOTMOB. We're going to do this weeks on Thursday. Yep. Um, I did last week's. We'll talk about the games that I did after the break. You're doing this week's. I am indeed. So we'll put it up Thursday because uh, there's not, a, well, there's FA Cup this week, but we're not going to do a midweek podcast this week. So we'll be back on next Monday. Yep. So go check that. Check the site, stadio.football. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review. Help really us. Helps grow the podcast. Why do you get, why do you, <laughs> Sorry. what is this? It's so unnecessary. It's like the way you say it. It's like the way you say it. All right, it. just give us a review for no reason I mean, apart from. I mean, like the way you say nice. it. I mean, like the way you say it. It's yeah, so, well, I so, wish I could say the same thing to you. So organic. Grow the grow the podcast. Hey, grow your own, Musa. Grow your own. Grow your own. <laughs> British podcast for British citizens. Can't wait to get my new navy blue slash black passport that I have no interest in whatsoever. Listen, this is a Brexit cast. This will be first ever. Oh man, imagine giving that much of a shit about what colour your passport is. Good lord. <laughs> Right. Let's From one it. culture war to another. Exactly. <laughs> that is a brilliant segue. Thanks, that's, mate. That's been, brilliant. Okay, been practicing. Yeah. We have to talk about the Bundesliga. We do. Because there was some incident this weekend. Give us the background, please. bubbling for a while. Yeah. So, Saturday afternoon, Bayern were playing Hoffenheim. They were comfortably in the lead and a banner or some chants were heard directed towards Dietmar Hopp, who is the majority owner of Hoffenheim and in line with the UEFA three-stage protocol the referee stopped the game there was an announcement made to the Bayern away fans to stop the chanting etc etc and they continued the game at 6-0 there was another banner which called or referred to Dietmar Hopp as the son of a whore which is a phrase that has been used multiple times so the referee stopped the game Took the players off the pitch. Hansi Flick, the Bayern head coach, went over. Bayern sporting director Hassam Salahamazic went over and was very, very angry. Bayern players went over and obviously telling fans to take the banners down, etc., etc., because the next stage after that, if it happened again, the game would be abandoned. And they were obviously 6-0 ahead in a really important game. And then they came back out onto the pitch and played the last 13 minutes, just kicking the ball around each other as some kind of you know, gentleman's agreement. Yeah. 
which was so weird. And then all stood together in solidarity. All the Bayern players and top brass were clapping the Hoffenheim fans. And you had Karl-Heinz Rummenigge stood next to Dietmar Hopp on the touchline. And it was all very pally, pally. And this obviously got a lot of coverage because it wasn't the only incident over the weekend. The Dortmund game was temporarily stopped on Saturday because of Dortmund fans chanting against uh, Hopp and the collective punishment of the DFB. The Union Wolfsburg game stopped twice for similar things. The first one was a banner criticising the DFB for breaking its promise on collective punishment. And the second was the now kind of infamous banner of Dietmar Hopp in a crosshair calling him a son of a whore. So I wrote a little thread about this on Twitter and I got quite a number of people who I think listened to the podcast were asking us whether we were going to talk about it and also what the context was. Because I think that this is really important to point out that even though Dietmar Hopp is mentioned and the wording is quite insulting. Yeah. And in some cases, I would say inflammatory. And it's targeted at one individual. Yeah. Seemingly so from the outside. And the crosshair, and let's just clarify, let me just clarify anything for you as well. Like a, a threat of that nature is... Especially in what, in the, the current context, climate. Yeah, it's extreme. Yes. Yeah, but uh, we have to explain why this is going on. And there are a number of people who listen to this who might know the story. So yeah. if you don't, then we hope they find this interesting. We'd also recommend seeking out some other stuff about it because our take isn't the only take. Absolutely, as always. Right. So the long story short is that Dima Hopp used to play for this small village club back in the day and before he founded SAP, the huge software company you know, made loads of money, invested into Hoffenheim. And then really, this is a, the, the gist, accelerated their process up through the leagues and then obviously into Champions League. Yeah. Now, a lot of traditional clubs in Germany were really against the rise of Hoffenheim because it kind of completely went against the 50 plus one rule, which for those who don't know, the 50 plus one rule is a Bundesliga rule where clubs must be majority owned by members. So it's 50% plus one share. So you can never have a situation like you do in the Premier League where you have Stan Kroenke or KSE owning the entirety of a football club. Right. There are a few exceptions to that. By Leverkusen are an exception, Wolfsburg are an exception because they were founded as works clubs. So obviously Leverkusen from the pharmaceutical company buyer, Wolfsburg, Volkswagen. Now, the 50 plus one rule is a little bit complicated in that you can grant exceptions for it in the case of Proving that you have supported the club for a long time or put money into the club for a long time. And that's how Dietmar Hopp ended up becoming the majority owner of Hoffenheim. So way back, this is like 2008, 2009, Dortmund fans were probably the most vocal or one of the most vocal fan bases protesting against Hoffenheim, their rise, Dietmar Hopp, etc, etc. And it became a little bit of a, a battle between the two clubs because you, you've got to remember this is pre kind of Dortmund really hitting success with Klopp. Right. Dortmund's players were getting picked off. There was a little bit of a war of words as well from the Hoffenheim side. Don't forget it was that Wolfsburg won the league in 09 just two years later. So that whole context of the money yeah. coming to the game, there was a real, this was a real moment. Yeah. And um, from the Hoffenheim side, someone very senior would say, if you want to go to a traditional football club, you go to Dortmund. If you want to watch good football, you go to Hoffenheim. The thing that's quite interesting about the solidarity between Bayern and Hoffenheim this time around is that back then, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge came out and basically took the piss out of Hoffenheim for having no history. So they were never really on board with it as well. Everyone likes new money though in the end. I'm also talking for ages here, so uh, I'm, I'm feel free to jump I'm, in. I'm, I'm fascinated though. I'm listening. Okay, so like, like our audience, I'm listening. There were a number of incidents between Dortmund and Hoffenheim. One was I think in like 2011, 12, something like that. A number of Dortmund away fans had to 
be treated for some ear problems, basically, because there was a huge sound system installed above the away section, which was playing stuff. And I think, I think yeah, 12 fans had to be uh, treated for ear damage or something like that. Now, this became a bit of a thing because Hoffenheim denied any knowledge of it. They blamed it on a groundsman who installed it and was against their knowledge. It then came out that it had been used a few times. Fast forward a few years. I've probably missed a few things out here, but if I, you know, sorry, it's been a bit of a weekend. This also explains the Hoffenheim-Dortmund game, which is really spicy, the 2-1 defeat. Yeah. It explains so, a lot of the needle in these games when you watch them closely. Yeah. So now, a while back, Dortmund fans unveiled a banner which had Hop in a crosshair saying, Hasta la vista Hop. Now, they got a fine and they got a suspended ban of two away games for Hoffenheim, or away games for two seasons. The DFB then came out and kind of said that they weren't going to collectively punish fans. However, Dortmund fans continued their chants and unveiled banners in the Hoffenheim game in December. So therefore, the DFB enforced the suspended ban. Dortmund fans are now banned for the next two trips to Hoffenheim. This is where the crosshair thing comes in. Right. Because this protest now is no longer about Hop specifically. Right. It's about what he represents and also the relationship, I think, between fans, the DFB, how did the DFB manage certain situations. I understand that from the outside and from, you know, growing up in, a, in, a, in an English football culture or say a US football culture, you know, it's quite a difficult thing to get your head around because the model is so different on, on a number of levels. So the Gladbach thing that happened last week where they unveiled the banner of hopping across here, which obviously timing the week after the Hanau incident was really poor taste. And, and, yeah. and also the banner is super poor taste. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I, I'm not a massive fan at all of, of that stuff it's grim yeah however whilst it might be questionable in terms of its usage this isn't about hop this is now about a solidarity between ultras groups across multiple fan bases and this is why the repeated use of son of a whore gets rolled out and the crosshair banner gets rolled out is because this is what dortmund fans got punished for right it goes some way to show people the level of threat that this poses to fan culture in germany which is huge. Because this is a real clamping down on their right to protest. What happened on Saturday, it also happened in the Cologne Schalke game, by the way. Ultras groups from fans who have not been banned from away games care about this so much because of what it represents. They can see the rot city. That in. they're willing to sabotage their own football matches and their own reputations a lot of the time in order to show solidarity with rival clubs. Whilst Bayern and Dortmund isn't the most fierce rivalry in the Bundesliga, it's still a huge rivalry. That's right. It'd be the equivalent of. Man United fans may be getting banned for something, or maybe the other way around. Maybe let's say Arsenal fans getting banned for something, and then Manchester United fans showing solidarity with them and unveiling the same kind of banners that got the Arsenal fans banned. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. And it needs that context because it really is that deep. It goes that deep. It's it about, does go that deep. It's about the gentrification of football, the right to protest. There's so many things tied into it. And there's also the hypocrisy of, actually, I didn't tweet this point myself because it had been made by so many other people before, long before me the severity with which the DFB, the German FA, and senior administration, some clubs, respond to this and their silence over the issue of race, for example. So Schalke tweeted out there was no place for racism and homophobia. And Jonathan Harding, who doesn't miss a trick on Twitter, great follow, at John, at John Blog 66 said, oh, that's interesting. The great man. Yeah, he said, interesting, because they got this issue close to home. And he was referring, of course, to the fact that Schalke chairman Clemens Turney's, after taking three months off and making racist statements, um, is now back in his role with no real ramifications or punishment. So it's interesting that clubs will go online and be like, oh, we're against these things. And you're like, mm, you're really not given your hiring practices. The powers that be and a lot of 
people at board level throughout various clubs in Germany. I mean, you've had like sporting directors who have come out and really heavily criticised their own fan base because of this. Executives at the DFB, like the new president, recent, uh, came out straight away. And, was, and a lot of the narrative that's come out of this weekend is that this is one of the darkest days in German football. It a is, lot, but it but, is, but not for the reasons they're saying. Well, yeah, but also this, I was, you know, on a lot of the commentary of the games that this is happening, you know, it's really easy because of the wording of the banner and the imagery of the banner and the graphic nature of it. It's very, very easy for people who are unaware of the context to just say, oh, they're ruining the game. They shouldn't be here. They're ruining it for everyone else. And it's not really about that at all. And like we said before, personally, I don't really want to see anyone in a crosshair. Me neither. But the son of a whore thing, another thing, for example, is that one of the other banners that was was used like in the Union game was basically criticising the DFB saying, you promise you wouldn't do any more collective punishments and then you step back two steps. You know, fuck you, DFB. So the use of swearing in German culture isn't, as loaded as it is in, in no. the UK. I mean, they love the word shitstorm over here. They love and, it. Yeah, and and for example, son of a whore is a term that is, or son of a bitch, depending on what you want to call it, is a term that's thrown around at football matches in Germany a number of times. Like, Dortmund fans are collectively called sons of whores. Right. Pretty much every game. You know, it's directed at Timo Werner. It's directed at strikers. It's, and I'm not saying it's right, but what I'm saying is that this is not as loaded as, say, calling someone a whatever in the UK. And I think also this is the key in many respects the response of in the Bayern senior administration and the DFB, they are keen not to address the underlying issues. And this to me is a desperate attempt by ultras to stop the ongoing gentrification of German football. And that is something which you see reflected across German society. You look at, you know, you look at Berlin and price rises, property prices here. There's a, there's just a case that's gone through. There's a law under appeal at the moment. Berlin for all those visited here is quite a flat city. There aren't that many high rise buildings. And there's a law going through to basically remove building restrictions in the west of Berlin so that you'll be able to have, in a few years, you know, soaring skyscrapers. And what that will do for property prices, we all know very well. So this is a kind of, this is a deeper cultural thing about what kind of society we want to be. Mm. And as, as extreme as these protests are, they're a reflection of how long these protests have been ignored. Yeah, I agree. I think this is the, the thing where we have to then put into context the work that ultras groups do in Germany. Right. The thing that is so jarring for a lot of people around this is the speed at which the DFB made comment about what happened on the weekend, a few hours, I think. Right. Whereas when Meza Ozil released a statement about racism within the DFB and why he was retiring from international football, they were silent for a few days. And the outpouring of solidarity from players... Thomas Muller is a prime example who got pulled up on it on Twitter multiple times. He wrote a really kind of damning tweet about fans and we need to stand together and all of this kind of stuff, which obviously the notion of we all agree with solidarity in football is something that we're not against at all. However, as someone I can't remember who, so I apologise, rightly pointed out, there was no such statements around Ozil's retirement or Ozil's comments about racism. And Muller's comments on German society about there being no racism in German society were just bizarre. Yeah. So basically, the thing that this has triggered is a real row between what the DFB actually stands for and what it doesn't. This to me is actually not a polarising issue. It's not yeah. actually. I think this is actually about class interests, a tight group of class interests being represented and they're trying to make out that this is a kind of binary. It's really not. Mm. Like the same way people will look at Bayern Munich Ultras and be like, oh my God, Bayern Ultras, what do they know about anything? And Bayern Munich Ultras, as you're probably about to say, incredible work critiquing their own club about yeah. Their involvement in Qatar. So yeah. th- there's, you know, when people look at big clubs sometimes, it's very easy to go, oh, they're a big club, they're not doing real stuff. Actually, you look at Sao Paulo, you know, bigger, they've got a much bigger sort of reputation as being leftist. But Sao Paulo and Dortmund helped out with the legal fees for Babelsberg, with the Babelsberg fans, and they're like, Babelsberg are like one of the lower divisions, 
Babelsberg fans were chanting Nazis out at one of their games and got a fine. Mm. And got, you know, and it was wild because actually Babelsberg, anyone that knows that area, Babelsberg, Potsdam, they do have challenges with the far right round yeah. there. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I wrote a, a, a kind of a three tweet thread about this on the weekend, which the thing, the thing that I really took away from it was the fact that, so you have this your way for protocol, which we all know about the three step protocol. Now, the DFB expanded that protocol to be u- allowed to be used for any kind of derogatory chanting right. just a couple of weeks ago and informed the referees about this. So I think this is why it's all of a sudden happened and they're aware this kind of thing might happen. And I think what is a real worry from a lot of fans groups is that they're using this protocol in order to basically clamp down on the fans' right to protest at all. So what does this mean? Well, this means that, for example, fans groups over the years have done incredible work to tackle racism, homophobia, sexism, any level of discrimination. They've also pushed back on ticket prices. And because of the weight that they hold within the clubs, especially because of the 50 plus one rule or the importance that ultras are to German fan culture and the German football experience, clubs have to listen. Saw Eintracht on Monday night, the main ultras in the curva behind the goal didn't go. They just left a big banner saying kind of no to Mondays because of the Monday night fixtures. Now the DFB have scrapped Monday night fixtures from 2021. Amazing. Because of the incredible amount of protest that has gone across multiple fan bases. Can I draw a comparison? This is like when Margaret Thatcher was against the trade unions. In footballing terms, this is as seismic as, as terms of what this represents. And we were actually talking to a friend earlier um, who works in the cafe here and he was saying, oh yeah, but isn't this a kind of injection of new money in football? And I've got other friends who have this argument. I said, look, but people are drawing a line in the sand. There's a point beyond which, you know, the march of ticket prices is not inevitable. The march of control of clubs is not inevitable. I said to my friend, I was like, look, what happens if a club with an abusive human rights record buys your team and within five, six years, you start winning big prizes, but you can't get your kids into a game? And he was like, well, that's already the case. And I was like, there you go. Like we're at a moment right now in history where we're in a position to stop that stuff happening. Mm. Shouldn't we learn from other leagues? And I said to a friend, like moving here was like kind of being a time traveler from the future, seeing what happened in the Premier League and saying, don't let this happen here. Like, mm. don't let this, because this is the rot. If they'd stopped this stuff back in the days of Shinawatra, when he was taking over and money laundering and, you know, executing drug dealers back in Thailand, like, if we'd stopped him then with a fit and proper person's test, we wouldn't be in this mess in the Premier League now. And it is a mess. Like, we enjoy the football, but it's a mess, really. Well, I think the Premier League goes to show a very, very real example of what German football could become if they don't protect the 50 plus one rule Absolutely. with all his might. Absolutely. I just want to mention something. There was a guy on Twitter, Max, at Borussian Myth, who translated a statement from Red Fanatic Munich, who are like a big fan group. They released a statement basically explaining why they did it on the weekend. And it's right. super interesting. And I think it really neatly explains how deep this goes. Maybe read some out if that's okay. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it said, I'll give you a little brief kind of thing. They said, It was clear to us that our banner for the game against Hoffenheim yesterday would surely attract media attention and was therefore knowingly chosen. The choice of words was not our usual style, but rather a clear reference to the sanctioned banners from the Dortmund supporters. However, what happened as an immediate reaction during the game resulted in an absurd chain of events from unrealistic and undifferentiated classification to sanctimonious consequences. The questionable events of the past few days with the drastic collective penalty against Dortmund fans for the following two games in Sinsheim, so where Hoffenheim are, further illustrate the ambivalence of the DFB. They go on to criticise Hop and Leipzig and the DFB. And there's a great moment there when they say, actually, if, and they, there's a great history lesson when they go back in time and say, look, a few years ago, when Hop was coming through the Hoffenheim, he argued that 
discrimination, critique yes. of his club was equivalent to racial discrimination. Yeah. So basically in 2007, a director of Mainz criticised Hoffenheim, basically their existence in the Bundesliga. And Hopp came out and said that this criticism demanded equal punishment to racial discrimination Which in the is, Bundesliga. And this is what basically fans the flames. Like we've said before, abuse of any level is just not really cool. However, a few words and a very, very questionable banner that is more symbolic than actually threatening. And I understand that this sounds like a bit of moral gymnastics. Because but of, I'm, yeah, because but, it, I, I, do you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's cool at all, but I'm yeah. saying it's, it isn't the same as a young footballer being hounded by monkey chants. I mean, listen, if it were, let's be... Um, and I know that that sounds like well, I'm tiptoeing no, around it. I want to get but, to, that, to the heart of that. I mean, this is the thing. If there was a banner of Jadon Sancho in the crosshairs, you know, we'd be like, what the hell? This is horrifying. But that so, takes on a very different context because of it the, does. But yeah, what the DFB home, have yeah. done here, and I'm again, like I'm saying, Dima Hopp is a 79-year-old guy who has done a lot of good work for good causes. And, you know, is probably a really nice guy. I don't think that just because he has a lot of money, he has to be like this kind of evil, you know, lord, overseer, kind of yeah. overseer of stuff like that. But someone said, where's this energy for like victims of racial abuse? Exactly. And that, like, that's what this com- is the thing that's, that's what it, it comes down to. Because a lot of the time, ultras groups in Germany and fans groups in Germany do the work that the DFB should be doing at an institutional level. And oh, they ignore. Yeah. And I don't have, look, I have great sympathy for Hopp if he does feel physically threatened by the, I have great sympathy for that. Don't get me wrong. I don't have any sympathy if he complains that his club's been unfairly treated or criticised because ultimately he barged the queue. There's lots of wealthy people in Germany. Germany's one of the wealthiest countries in Europe, if not the world. And lots of wealthy people pump money into their clubs but still respect the 50 plus one rule. There's nothing to stop Dietmar Hopp from being a minority shareholder and giving away fans you know, just like buses to every game and turn, there's, there's nothing to stop him. But he wanted economic control of his club, mm-hmm. right? And at that point, that is why I criticise him, not for his reaction to this, you know, because it's painful for anyone to be personally targeted. I criticise him for his conduct and the way that actually, unfortunately, it's still the arrogance of wealth. We come back to it. The mm-hmm. arrogance, you know, I hear stories, yes, he's done good things. He's a rich, listen, there's a rule book and you play by it. And just because you're wealthier than other people does not give you the, the right to behave in a system which distorts the market. But like I would that, say yeah. now, as, as kind of, as, as far as the optics may look questionable, this isn't about Dietmar Hopp anymore. This is about the fan solidarity against the symbolism of the DFB's punishment and games being stopped using a protocol that has never been used for actual racist abuse in the league. So it wasn't implemented when Jordan Turinariga was racially abused in Schalke. He reacted as a response to the abuse and got a red card for it. Now the symbolism here is massive because you're saying that we are prepared to stop matches when you unveil a banner using an insult directed to a wealthy owner that is thrown around at every single player. Doesn't make it right, but you're saying that that is more important than actually protecting abuse towards a player on the football pitch because of something they cannot control. Do you know what I mean? That is, be- that is way more loaded and way more kind of ingrained in society than this. Do you know what makes me angry about all of this so fundamentally as well? The DFB, you know, the German FA, obviously. What frustrates me so much about them is just when they choose to get angry when they don't. It's so revealing. Let, let's be, let's, let's we're, well, if, I mean, if we're, we're going to You know why? The, the ultimate thing about this, SAP are a partner in the DFB. With the yeah. DFB. Yeah. I mean, this is, an, this is another rant to go another day. We'll probably go for a break at some point, but let's go for a break soon. But this really is a conversation of the time, but just more generally, the apathy, and it's not specific to Germany, it's, you see it in the FA as well, 
just the sheer apathy at board level. And it's a practiced apathy. It's a practiced ignorance. It's a practiced silence to just sit back at the money roll in. Well, can I maybe round this bit up with the last section of the yes, please the um, statement from the Red Fanatics, which they say, comparing a mere insult in the form of banners or chants to racially motivated acts is simply idiotic. The media, the hierarchy and the players are also lacking substance in their statements. Angry comments and appeals for more tolerance on social media are missing any self-reflection. On the other hand, active engagement against incidents of anti-Semitism, homophobia and racism are rarely on the agenda. Instead of empty words, actions should also follow. Discontinuing the annual training camp in a homophobic and inhumane country as is Qatar would undoubtedly be a star for FC Bayern. So they're criticising their own club here. Yeah, big. Accordingly, we look forward to your lively sympathy and statements in response to, for example, racist words and deeds, and not just in response to insults of one single billionaire. Openness and honesty cannot just be demanded unilaterally, but must also be acted upon. We can only hope that the significant and important shortcomings in our sport will finally be recognised. Again, like I would round this up nice and neatly, and we're not pro the crosshair banner. Right. And I don't think a lot of people are. However, it's now being used to highlight a much deeper problem and that's problem, kind of and going on between n- the Bundesliga, well, between the DFB not, yeah. and, and fan groups. And a problem, just to sort of jump in there to run this off as well, a problem that will not go away if we never see that banner again or if we never see that word again. This problem is going to remain there at a fundamental level. It's going gonna, it's gonna to roll because this is more of a threat now to, if you can stop a football match because of a banner unveiled at Union criticising the DFB for handing down a collective punishment which they promised they'd never do again. This is really, really bleak. Absolutely. So, should we go for a break? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. Do you want to dive? Should we dive into the five to follow quick and then we'll go on to like Premier League and stuff like that? Let's do it. You'll smile at me because you're troll, you're <laughs> troll neck, troll neck season. Let's go for it. All right, Juve Inter, the Derby d'Italia was postponed along with a number of, say, our games because of the coronavirus. We've discussed that last week, so we won't go into that anymore. But we'll talk about Atalanta because they're banging some goals in, but we'll talk about them. Do you know what's funny bit. about Atalanta? Save it. We'll get, we'll save it. Okay. Right, so we'll dive into the five, well, the four games that I that ended up going ahead of mine. Uh, remember, sign up to well, download the FopMob app. App, I always say ab. FopMob's got abs. It's got abs. Bulked up. Download the absolutely ripped FopMob app. Hench app. <laughs> <laughs> and you can basically just click alerts for the games that we include in our preview, and then yeah. you just get a little update. So you don't, so in case you can't catch them, should we start with the Classico? Do it. Two teams under construction. It feels like sort of 03, 04, when neither team was actually that terrifying in Europe. This sort of transitional period for both teams. And just the disjointed nature, even the goals. There's very rarely been a Classico where the nature of the goals scored has so closely corresponded to the, the quality, quality of the, the game. Team. Yeah, <laughs> like you look, you look at the goals and they were like horrible defensive aberrations. And a game where Barcelona defeated and very upset about it, but also had ample chances to win the thing, you know, before Real came through. And the goals came very late as well. Tony Cruz looked great. I mean, he had a fine game. He's been, I think, maybe rotated, rested uh, for this fixture. But just a, a critique of Messi. Messi didn't score and had a good chance to do so. Did you see the thing about the, um, 
So Messi's played in five Clásicos since Cristiano Ronaldo left Real Madrid and he hasn't scored in any of them, which yeah. is a weird trait. It is weird, but then also there's, there's bigger things going on there because you look at the Barcelona team and the, the extent to which they defer to Messi. It's just awful. Griezmann's miss, you know, it was a really good chance and just skies it in the first half. And you think to yourself... Yeah, I saw Kevin Williams tweet about this during the game, who's a really good Barcelona follow. He's great. And he was basically saying, Suarez puts his laces through that and that Griezmann finishes too casually. I don't think it's ca- casual. I think it's tentative. I think it's different. It's not casual. Casual implies a lack of care. I don't think Kevin means that. It's, it's tentative. Or maybe saw, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Maybe he didn't say casual, but um, that he alluded that basically he needs to be a little bit more vicious when he finishes. Messi scores the hat-trick in the previous game. Well, four goals, actually. Messi never scores a normal hat-trick. He's always like a plus one. He loves his four-goal haul. Messi scores four goals in the previous game, and one of them comes because Griezmann tries to give him the ball back instead of finishing. And I'm like, ah, see that right there? That lack of ruthlessness. What, in, in the A-bar game? The A-bar game, right. No, 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 Griezmann tried to finish. But it was a poor but finish. It, no, it, it like, then got blocked and then went back oh, to sorry, Messi. But yeah. it was a, sorry, but the finish sorry, but the finish was so tentative. And I remember thinking, that's not the first time I've seen you do that. Mm. And the problem is the pressure that then puts on Messi to create, to finish. Not that Messi should be given any defence or sympathy because of that, because he's Messi. It's just saying that it's alarming how much of the game goes through him. And I'm not blaming him for that. I'm saying people looking for him all the time, no one taking pressure off. Whereas you look at with Neymar, the 4-0, when Neymar just ran riot. Mm. Um, Iniesta scoring the final goal, but Neymar basically doing most of the damage. It's games like that that Neymar was there for, which also illustrates, again, we said that like the Neymar transfer broke Barcelona. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's still breaking them. Yeah, that was Real Madrid's first Clásico win at the Bernabeu since 2014. And this is not a good Real Madrid side. No. Defensively, it's the best in La Liga. But going forward, it hasn't really got a lot. Piquet said it was the worst team he'd seen. And he said that in anger and Ramos was laughing at the end. But Piquet was also right. Yeah, but I think the reason Piquet said that is not necessarily to throw shade at Real. I the think it's throwing shade at his own club. It's a frustration. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because this, the, the, thing, the thing that I took away, I'm actually writing a piece about this for another outlet. Ooh. Which may go up this week. Interesting. Yeah. Big money, big rise. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. off. <laughs> go. Give me a pack of Haribo and I'll write a piece for you. <laughs> You've got something to announce, have you? Don't make any announcements, it'll just be me. No, no, no. No announcements. I'll still be here, sat in this room with you next week. Don't worry, mate. Roll neck or no roll neck. Oh, God. If I've managed, the last thing I'd do now after putting up with you all winter with a roll neck on is jump ship just as it's about to get warm and That's I see the back of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the 2010s was, was like a golden era for the Classico. Absolutely. And it's been gradually eroding in terms of quality or spectacle over the, the last few seasons, I think. It's like the Star Wars movies. Yeah. They've had their sort of heyday and now they're doing these rehash sequels. But now the rescheduled one that was nil-nil and this have really put it into sharp, sharp focus that this isn't really the biggest fixture anymore, I don't think, in in world football, or at a club level anyway. And it was. And I even thought that it's not just necessarily the quality of both sides on show, it's the intensity which maybe comes from the quality, but it's also online. Yeah. Whenever there was a Classico for years, as long as I can remember in terms of social media, especially Twitter, this might sound a little bit revisionist or old man going on about Twitter, you know, when everyone's on TikTok. I love TikTok, by the way. Yeah, it's great. I got very far down a TikTok oh more about yesterday. You're hilarious. Um, but there just seemed to be, like, no one seemed to be really that arsed. 
It was really quiet on Twitter. Well, look, because in the in the heyday, in the sort of absolute sort of halcyon days of Classico, you'd have athletes from other sports sitting and watching with their phones in their hands going nuts. And they'd be like, Messi, oh my goodness, Ronaldo, my goodness. People would actually be watching and getting hype off it. Like it was a kind of like a big fight, like a big boxing match. Yeah. And now it's like just this marketing. I really, really want to be as hyped about these games as, as I was. And I, th- I think it's really interesting how the Classico develops as a fixture over the next few years within this decade, because you've got two clubs now who's, like we said before, whose identities are way more blurred than they were. It's just in a weird place, I think. Let's go to the game quick. So Vinicius Junior scored the first goal. It's just a lovely pass by Tony Kroos. What PK was doing there, I'm not really sure. Vinicius now becomes the youngest, fi- uh, youngest player to score in the fixture since... Messi, which is nice. It's quite I really do like Vinicius. He's a very fine player. I think over the next few years, he's going to develop into a real, real superstar. And then deep into stoppage time, Mariano got his first goal after being on the pitch for about 30 seconds. His first 30 seconds of football for Real Madrid this season. And the goal itself was just like, he just ran. He just cut in from the wing and nipped in at the far post. But it, it was sort of kind of unimpeded, really. Largely unimpeded. It was bizarre. Don't get me wrong, like, shout out to him. Like, great, you know, great enterprise to, to drive in from there. But, I didn't see much defence. No, but also I think he slipped when he finished and it kind of went off his other foot over to Stegen. So it was a little bit of a, that was a nice metaphor for the, for the yeah. kind of quality of the game. But I saw a great tweet and I can't remember who it was, but it was like, shout out to Mariano scoring the, the second in the Classico just days after like Dominican Independence Day or something. Oh, like. I, love, I love stuff like that. So yeah, so basically Real Madrid are now top. There was a really good Sid Lope, and when is there not a good Sid Lope about right. anything to do with Spain, but there was a really good, um, line in it where he says Barca basically had the chance to push Real off into the abyss. You know, Barcelona would have been five points clear if they'd won this game. Real Madrid probably going out of Europe, both sides out of the copper. It would have basically been Real Madrid season done. They can't execute, can they? They can't. No. I mean, now that. now Real Madrid are a point ahead. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot to play for in La Liga, but anyway. Underneath it, though, it's really interesting. You were saying about Sociedad, right? They got a good win. Um, weirdly enough, not weirdly, Espanyol and Atleti having a one-all draw, which is not weird at all because it's what Atleti do. They're just this strange refusal to score goals, <laughs> refusal to score more than sort of two goals a game, really. There's a disappointing result for them, but actually a, a good result for them in the context of their season because it means that the Champions League is ever more the only real prize for them. On Friday, Real Sociedad were up to third, which yeah. is good. I mean, that shows you how tight it is underneath the top two, actually. It's really, really interesting because then Sevilla won on the weekend, Getafe won, Atleti got a point. So Real Sociedad were third on Friday and then ended the weekend sixth. Three points between Sevilla in third and Real Sociedad in sixth. So that battle for the other two Champions League spots and two Europa League spots is pretty good. The, the interesting thing about that though is that Real Sociedad have got a game in hand on the rest of them. Very useful. So if they win that with their goal difference, they'll go back up to third. So next game? Next game, right. Yeah, Union Wolfsburg, 2-2. Four headers. Yes. And that's kind of all you really need to say about that. It is indeed. A couple of stoppages, four yeah. headers. Veco scores again. Yeah, Wolfsburg is scoring. They're they scoring are. goals now. Is there any more predictable in a Wolfsburg win or draw than a Veghorst header? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I thought Wolfsburg were by far the better size when Union went ahead. And Union went ahead with their first effort on goal at all. And then I think they scored their second with their second, both from set pieces. Then the interruptions happened. And then I think a point was pretty fair. Mm. But it was really interesting on the weekend because Bayern, they ended up finishing the game in 1-6-0 against Hoffenheim. They're looking kind of dangerously ominous now. Yeah. They're three points clear at the top because Leipzig drew at home to Bayer Leverkusen. Leverkusen was, have been a real stone in the sock, haven't they? Yeah. That was a weird game, that. I think the, the second half was kind of kind of dry, actually. Leverkusen's slightly making a bit of a charge. Like In terms of their points, they've really accumulated well. Kai Havertz is playing beautifully. Yeah, I mean, they're four points off Dortmund right. in third. They're five points off Leipzig in 
second. Yeah. Dortmund scraped through at home against uh, Freiburg, 1-1-0. Right, let's move on to another game. It was a top-of-the-table clash in the Eredivisie. Ajax losing 2-0 at home to AZ Alkmaar. Ajax are in a really poor run of form at the moment. Out of the tr- Well, both sides, both Ajax and Alkmaar went out of the Europa League midweek. Ajax lost last weekend to Heracles. What I would say about the Ajax game was so strange. When you see the opening goal for Alkmaar, I remember thinking, hmm, that hole through the middle of the defence looks about the size of Delit. And you just think, you know what I mean? When they just, the way they cut through for the Broke first goal. too soon. <sighs> yeah, it is what it is, right? I mean, to be honest, you look at the state of Barcelona this year and I would have loved Ajax to have held on to De Jong and Delit for another season as yeah. well. Yeah. You were a really big fan of the second goal, right? Yeah, the through ball. Usama Idrissa. Who'd had a goal disallowed before for VAR. There was a foul, foul in the build-up. The pass that leads to Idrissa's finish is like as if 70-yard, two iron. Mm. Beautiful. It wasn't, you know, people talk about long balls. Long balls get much maligned because in the English game, long balls often just meant hoof it and hope. <laughs> but this is like a surgically delivered, I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Long ball's coming back, man. It is. So that takes Alkmaar level on points with Ajax at the top. Uh, Ajax have got a 10-goal better goal difference. Alkmaar's defence is brilliant though. What, 17 conceded? Yeah, it? 17 conceded. I mean, Ajax have only conceded 22 though, so it's not too bad. But um, I think the good news for Ajax is that Feyenoord and PSV both drew. So they haven't really, I mean, they've only lost a point in terms of yeah. ground. Still lots of football to come there in that. League. Yeah. Uh, the final game I picked was LAFC against Inter Miami. So Inter Miami's first MLS game. This was a really good game, man. It was so good. It was super end-to-end. Double lights of 30-odd efforts on goal. Yeah. And, in total, yeah. And bear in mind that LAFC are the definite favourites to win the MLS. They had the best regular season record last season, went out in the playoffs. Obviously, into Miami, they still have, I think, a one or two designated player spaces to sign. But this was good, man. And it was really, really good. And the goal finish, to yeah. seal it from the one and only King Carlos Vela. What a goal. I, I retweeted a clip of it if you haven't seen it. It was vintage Carlos Vela. There were elements to it, like the initial control, the touch. To yeah, bring it down. a little, it was quite FIFA-ish, I thought. Yeah. A little run, and then all of a sudden it's like you've held it. What's the, is it the L1 or the R1? I think it's the L1 button, and then you chew it, chip There the was keeper. an element of like sensible soccer as well. Remember sensible you keep soccer? You bringing sensible soccer up, and literally no one who is listening knows what you're talking about. It's because I'm old. It is, isn't it? It's because I'm old and no one's heard of it. Why are you asking questions that you don't want the answers to? <laughs> don't bring that there. Don't bring that there. Beautiful goal by Vela. Um, Can I just backtrack a little bit? You sure. know how you, you know, you have roll neck energy, I have cardigan energy. Yeah. You have sensible soccer energy and I, I have Provo 4 energy. Provo 4. Someone's laughing at me in the po- someone's laughing me in the comments saying I didn't know who it was. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm so old. <laughs> so yeah, that was a really good game. I really enjoyed that. So yeah, not bad games to follow. Yeah, games eight. Hey, they were great great games to follow. Um game we will of course mention that we didn't follow this time was the Continental Cup final. Well, um, too, we had both League Cup finals this weekend in the men and women's game. Do you know it's wild? Both good games. Yeah, but the men's one didn't really register. Like like as in Oh, I don't know, man. No, 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 no. Not because, not because for me, not because of Villa, not because of no, disrespect, but like just the way that that, the way that City just cleared the benches with that tournament, like as, and just the cups. It's had a, I'm not going to lie, in terms of my, my uh, enthusiasm for cup competitions, there's been a dulling effect. I won't lie. Like, I'm not saying this wasn't a great game. It was a great game. Like, and Villa really acquitted themselves. And I think, you know, th- th- let's look at the positives, you know, look, look beyond my own apathy. Look at the positives from this game. Villa's performance um, after going 2-0 down. The immediate fight back through Samata. And the performance of Phil Foden, his touch was superb throughout. He's a really good football player. And he, you know, he, uh, he, <laughs> he did some keepy-ups in the second half. And Gary Neville just kind of went, oh, 
Because I think he was a bit like, oh, he's showboating or he's going to get well, clapped. He has to. I couldn't figure out if Gary Neville was doing his, like, you yeah. know, Torres in the new camp or whether he was just really disappointed. Well, also, I feel like if he was showboating, good, because not being funny, this man's been hidden from view. Yeah. And if you look at the careers that other players in his generation are having other clubs and you think this guy, if he was at Dortmund, would be balling out. I was going to say, if I was Dortmund, I would be having... He'd be balling out. Can, Can you imagine, imagine if Sancho leaves in the summer and then they sign Phil Foden? They won't go for Foden. It costs them too much money. And they don't need a player like that in that position. They've got Brandt. They don't need that kind of player. Um, well, that's, well, yeah, I mean, as a direct replacement for Sancho, Foden isn't a bad shout, but because Brandt isn't a direct replacement for Sancho. No. Brandt's way more better central. And they so, would, Yeah, I think, I think if they, if they bought, I mean, put it this way, Phil Foden in the Bundesliga would be unreal. I mean, I'd be all over that. Um, so yeah, great win for City just because of the resilience that Villa showed. It was a really good game in the end. And Continental Cup. Oh my goodness. I mean, we talked before about Beth England and her ability to score crucial goals. And she did it here at both ends of the game. And there is now a bit of a problem for Arsenal because psychologically, I mean, it's three times Chelsea bid this year, mm. isn't it? And that is, you have to conclude that they're a better team at this point than Arsenal, just because they're just more ruthless. You know, even the fact that Chelsea take the early lead, then Arsenal have a period of sustained pressure, actually. They look really good. They get back to one all uh, through Leah Williamson and then look like the most likely winners. And then Sam Kerr, who didn't score but was threatening to, just muscles through on the right. Mm-hmm. And the finish from the near post by Beth England is so impressive because, yeah, it was a tap in from two yards out, but a lot of people, two feet out. A lot of people don't make that run. They don't mm-hmm. cut. There's the amount of times you see that ball get thrashed across the face of goal, and no one's in the six yard box, no one's attacking space. You, you look at someone like Alvaro Morata, for example. Morata doesn't attack that space six yards out, so he doesn't score that many goals. England is a danger anywhere from 30 yards out. She scored from far out, from close in. She's relentless. Chip, header, anything. Like, Near post, far post. Yeah, the complete, she's, the yeah. complete forward. She's a nightmare. She'd be a nightmare to play against. She's a, a problem. She's a problem, Musa. It's a real problem. Yeah. Like, I would not, but I don't want, I would not want to Shout out to Gura, Gura Wrighton as well, who's just been one of the kind of unsung, like what well, unsung band members, like the bass player that doesn't really get the shout outs, but Wrighton's been brilliant this year as well and was great in the final too. Yeah. Good. Bo- both League Cup finals were good, good games. Yeah, good games. Good value. And hey, we need to go to the Premier League. Before we go there, let's quickly jump to Atlanta because <laughs> the speed they score goals is like, I want to say this now, I just want to shout them out. It was almost like someone had said, okay, look, there's going to be like an embargo. There'll be no games after 3 p.m. So if Atlanta kick off at like two, they're basically like, we have to score all our goals before there's an embargo. <laughs> and Lecce, bless them, came back to 2 all, got blown away 7-2. And Joseph Ilicic is my nomination for this year's Hipster Ballon d'Or. <laughs> Meaning that, of course, he won't win the Ballon d'Or, but I would love it if he was like a top 10 finalist or something. We had a question from Kevin Leahy about Atalanta, saying At- Atalanta the most enjoyable team to watch currently, question mark. They're definitely one of. They're definitely one of. Like I say, imagine them on a night out. Mm. You look at Papu Gomez and Ilicic walking into a bar, you'd be like, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'd say Atalanta in terms of scoring goals. I think Nicky Bandini wrote that they're on course for 106 goals now. Wild. For the end of the season. But I just- I'd, I'd put Dortmund in there as well, though Dortmund went great on the weekend, but I think that the... The, the potential for some kind of drama means that Dortmund are a much watch. Yeah. Uh, must watch, sorry. But um, let's talk about the Premier League before we go. Yeah. Because probably the biggest story in the Premier League this weekend we've not mentioned and we are however long into the podcast, which is... Unbelievable. Why didn't Gilfie Sigurdsson get up? That is the biggest story in those nuggets. Let's talk yeah. about uh, Watford-Liverpool. I mean, that, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, very quickly, Everton-Man United, before we go oh, to... Oh, you want to go there? Very quickly, okay, this oh, like, Vier, might- and I say as a United fan, Everton deserved to win this game. And also, why the hell did Sigurdsson just not get up before the ball was deflected in off Maguire? He sits there for five or six seconds. 
He just sits there. And I don't think injured. it was quite five or six, but, but, but it was he, a long time. He sits there. He was, he, okay, four or five seconds. He sits there. Just get up, mate. And he wasn't injured. He was just like sitting about. And then he's like, oh no, VAR. Dude. Anyway, energy. So. I, I actually, on the balance of play, I know that Everton were kind of ahead on the XG, but I kind of thought a point was a fair result. Mm, yeah. Calvert-Lewin doing his thing. Because, I mean, Pickford made some unbelievable saves as well. Did. Um, and obviously the goal for Everton was a De Gea yes. howler. Um, Which are more common these days. Well, he's just not the best Spanish keeper. No, no, he's not. Okay. Watford-Liverpool. Yes, before we go, let's do Watford-Liverpool. I thought like we've been in here for days. As they said in uh, Lord of the Rings, we come to it at last, the great battle of our time. Can I just throw something out there here? I don't think this is that big a deal, personally. I think, it's, I think they're slightly relieved, some of them. I think it's, the, the story of it is seismic, obviously, because it's like Liverpool shipping three goals, best defensive record in the Premier League, finally lost, you know, and they're having the most historically successful in terms of points Premier League campaign ever. But deep down, I probably think, and I might be wrong here, I think Klopp is probably pleased. I don't think he, Klopp gives a shit about going the season unbeaten. I don't think he cares. The only people who really care are Arsenal fans. And some Liverpool fans. I think Liverpool fans are more focused on winning the league for a start. And if they can get a Champions League as well as the league, I think they would take that over going the season unbeaten. Now, I'm an Arsenal fan. There was obviously a lot of Arsenal fans getting into fights with Miguel Delaney on the weekend. <laughs> Shout out to Miguel Delaney. Wow, he really... <laughs> oh, good wow. Lord. The loss came at a good time for Liverpool because it really focuses the mind now. Especially ahead of the Atleti Thank second you. leg. You almost, yeah. used to, almost lost to West Ham, lost to Atleti in that leg, opening leg. It's like, fix up. Yeah. You've been exposed now and you've been exposed in ways you will not be exposed against um, Atleti because, you know, Dejan Lovren, I've defended him as a podcast many times, will always do so to an extent. At the same time, a defender of a higher quality will not allow the ball to bounce as he did, I think, for Watford's opener mm. in the box like that. That thing is going to be thrashed clear. So Klopp will look and be like, well... I bought players to solve the problems that, you know, players like Lovren unfortunately presented. You can see in the substitutions that Klopp made that this wasn't a game that he was prioritising. He expected his team to get the job done. But then the stat that was just quite damning and which Klopp will look at is that I think in the run that Liverpool had this year, 60% of the goals have been scored by their front three. That is a distribution which is not healthy entirely. It's the small margins that matter in the Champions League. And if you look at the Barca front three, the astonishing front three, they didn't win a second straight. Why? They got, they got the first one. This was before they'd really picked up steam. The second season when they came and were just like all conquering, Atleti shut them out. Mm. And we could see a similar thing happening again, history repeating itself, where you have a front three that are absolutely brilliant, but they run out of steam at a crucial point of the season. I'm just concerned about the amount of miles they have on the clock, those three. That's all I'm saying. Like, and if anyone is superbly placed to stop a front three who are brilliant and score lots of goals, but slightly flagging in steam, it's Atleti. I think now they've lost, there's no real point in, they can afford to lose another five games or something and still yeah. be champions. And I'm mean, like I said, I can't be from here criticising Jürgen Klopp's rotation because it's one of his greatest strengths. Um, so I'm not really criticising, I'm just saying that game really is the banana skin. And I, I, do you know what? I, I, don't really, I don't really have anything to criticise Klopp about. I think the thing that was... Not, I'm not, I'm not I, I know it's, it's really easier to say this in hindsight, but I yeah. could see something like this coming because of just the, the difference in tone coming from a lot of Liverpool players post-match. There was there are a couple of pieces that came out over the weekend after the defeat that seemed to suggest that the focus wasn't quite there. This gives Klopp now, because if you think about it, if you're going in there every week and be like, guys, we've got to focus. This is really important, and they and you're you know you've drawn one game in the league and you've won the rest, and it's March or well end of February. Deep down, 
you know what, how football professional footballers are built. Yeah. They're going to be like, yeah, all right, like, we've got this. But now actually he can go in there this morning or wherever at Melwood and be like, right, I told you, this can happen. And we can't let this happen for the rest of the season. I'm drawing a comparison here. This, def- this defeat to me could be the making of the rest of Liverpool's season in the same way that when United lost um, 3-2 to Middlesbrough at Old Trafford, Dean Gordon, I think, scored one or two, maybe oh, the winner. I shout. I think it's going to be that same kind of fixture where it goes and gives the boss carte blanche to be like, we're going to do it my way from now on. Yeah, listen and to we're me. Gonna, we're going to go on a run from now on. So to me, as a Liverpool fan, I'd be like, great, now we can build new momentum because this relief, uh, this defeat in the grand scheme will be a relief, I think. I mean, it relieves a lot of pressure. Absolutely. You know, it's got that noise. Now he doesn't have to answer any questions about it. It's been... It's been done. For sure, yeah. Shall we wrap? Yeah, let's wrap. Do you want to drop a beat? (laughs) (laughs) In West Philadelphia, no, no. (laughs) What are we playing out on? (laughs) Uh, We're playing out with uh, a tune called Raum by Grout Zorner. As we said earlier, we're not doing another podcast this week. We'll be back next Monday. Check the website, stadio.football, for Moose's five to follow. I might have a piece up this week. You might have another piece, or is that too much to throw at you? We'll Uh, see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Give us a rating and a review. We're at Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram, and we'll be back next week. We will indeed. See you soon. Angst. 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 Angst.